Hello and welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard, I will be your host for this evening. Um, now tonight's episode is going to be called Away from the Cardboard, Back to the Paper and Dealing with Zombies. Now I know why it's called that and you will know why it's called that because joining me this evening is a gentleman by the name of David Wellington. And David Wellington is an author known for his series of monster books concerning zombies, as well as other books concerning kind of your normal kind of supernatural fare. So, good evening, David. Hi, thanks for having me on. I'm delighted. I'm delighted to have you on. And um, we've been talking for a little while, I think. Um, I think I first heard about you on the Zompok podcast, sure. which was a little while ago. And then a um, friend of the show, Nick Jones, said, um, would you be interested in having, having yourself on the show? And I said, yes, you know, always interested to speak to new people. So um, that kind of got organized and and here we are. So, awesome. so, for, <laughs> so for people that haven't listened to us... Um, before the reason that we do this is because there's not enough podcasts about board games and the other reason that we do this is there's not enough podcasts about board games that bring writers on that write about zombies and zombies are in all board games basically so <laughs> take are, that as you are, are there any others i i, I don't think I'm <laughs> i i think i'm i'm kind of running out of um I don't think I've seen a board game for a while that doesn't have some kind of um, kind of uh, zombie kind of contingent involved. I'm, I'm still googling it away, and I'm still finding them kind of kind of kind of everywhere anyway. But um, we're obviously we're going to have a chat about your books um, because they're they're good fun to read, um, and they're yeah. I mean, I've you know I've personally gone through Monster Island. I enjoyed it quite a bit oh, um so we can we can talk about that um but obviously what we want to talk about is we normally have a look back at the past before having a peek in the present and maybe a little kind of i guess a kind of a scan of the future just in relation to kind of board games because you play you said that you have um a group that kind of meets on an occasional basis but do you remember how you kind of the first kind of board games you played well we'd have to go back to the misty days in the 1980s way way back you know before the dinosaurs before life <laughs> developed on earth uh yeah no i was a kid as a kid in uh, in america you grow up playing board games you grow up playing really really bad board games okay. uh you know every week Every Saturday morning, we would have the cartoons on, and the advertisements during the cartoons would always be for Hungry Hungry Hippos, or they would be for, you know, uh, the icebreaker, the one, you know, where you pull out the little long sticks, uh, yeah, and yeah. the thing comes down. Yeah, uh, no, for me, though, I think my fa my earliest and probably favorite, mem favorite memory of, of discovering board games was Mousetrap. 
which oh, yeah. everybody knows is just a piece of junk that never actually works. <laughs> but when you're a kid, it is the most amazing thing you have ever seen. This this collection of machines and gears and nets falling down and marbles rolling through bathtubs and, and all kinds of things. And you're building this up through the game. And I don't even remember how it's played. I, it, it's, I remember it taking forever. But you, you, you eventually build this giant contraption and the marble goes down and you know if it works it's just amazing yeah Yeah. Uh, it's also one of these games it's one of these games that you usually end up throwing the rules to one side sure and just building the mousetrap just for the pure sake of building the mousetrap i remember going around to our friends we never had mousetrap but there was a friend that we used to go around all the time and they had mousetrap so all we did was build the mousetrap we didn't do we kind of didn't do anything else. I don't think we ever actually played it because the game itself was because of dice-based, so getting the pieces for it was kind of hit and miss, and you ended up just going, ah, let's just build the, let's just build the kind of the mouse trap instead. That was just my, um, I guess, my lack of patience for the game. Well, but I think it's like that with most kids' games. I, I think, yeah. you know, I mean, like even, let's say, Operation, which is oh. so hard, when you have good motor skills, <laughs> but when you're a kid, it's next to impossible. And and I remember we, you know, I I, I had three sisters, uh, two older than me, one younger, and All right, okay. whoever whoever was youngest got to play by different rules than the other people. So right. and with operation, it was you just went until you got the thing out, and you know you would sit there and the thing would be buzzing and screaming and the light is flashing and you're just like digging around in there with a little tweezers <laughs> trying, trying to get this plastic bone out of this guy's body and and you just everybody thought it was hilarious like the your lose condition in that game is funny so yeah. i think that for kids Kids don't, I think, play board games looking for the same things that adults do. I mean, adults no, want no. adults want clear rules, right? Because we live in a world that doesn't have any. You know, we live in a world of just chaos and, and, and fright and despair. So what we want is for an hour to have a world that makes sense. Yeah, we yeah, want, absolutely. Yeah, we absolutely want just to sit down and do something that we know what we're supposed to do we know if we're doing it right. We know that who wins in the end, right? All things you don't get from adult life. But when you're a kid, none of those things make sense. The kids don't live in that world. <laughs> kids don't live in a world where anything makes sense, especially complex sets of rules. And, and I think a lot of kids' games are just terrible. They are awful little games. <laughs> But when you're a kid, a light goes on because you did something or, you know, maybe uh, you draw a card and and everybody laughs because you have to go back to the start. And it's, you know, kids live in that world of just, you know, random cruelty and surprising fun. And so I think for, for kids games, especially from the 80s, were designed to get to that. I mean, we think of them as junk now, but I think they worked so well because all the kids wanted was the light to go on. All the kids wanted was the mousetrap to actually, you know, the, the net to come down and catch the mouse. Did you ever take over from your sister when she was doing really, really badly? Oh, no, Did you no, ever, no. like, say, oh, or did, no. you actually, did you actually put up with the knee kind of noise? It was an iron-bound rule in my household. Whoever was going got to go, and they, you did not interfere with that. <laughs> 
Was and that a threat? Was that a threat of grounding then, or was there, you know, go to it, bed without supper, or it was my mother refusing to live in a house with four screaming kids. So <laughs> okay. if if we went to her with some kind of, you know, if we were looking for some judgment to be handed down from on high, and we yeah. went and said, eh, but 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 she she's taking too long on her turn. My mother yeah. would have given me a look that would have frozen alcohol. I mean, just, you, you, you know, <laughs> the, the, the idea that my mother's precious time was going to be wasted adjudicating on whether, you know, the card said go two spaces and then take a token or yeah. take a token and then go two spaces. That was just not going to happen. <laughs> so it forced us to get along because we had. So to... it was forced fun then. Well, <laughs> you will have fun. You will enjoy yourselves. You will take your turn. <laughs> oh, I don't think she cared if we were having fun. We just we had to be, we had to be, we had to be quiet. Was the thing. If we were quiet, that was good enough. That's so surprising that she let you play Operation. I mean, I suppose the other one would be um, frustration. Have you ever played that where you've got the the popping dice? Yes. Kind of yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I think yeah, I I think I've re- I've kind of told this tale before about my father running through when we were playing frustration once and him just kind of throwing it to one side and said, you know, play anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, because <laughs> you sit there and all you hear is pop, pop. Pop and it's never at a regular rhythm. It's not like listening to like the chat, you know, the the hand on like a grandfather clock, where you find it kind of soothing. It doesn't rattle along like a heartbeat, so it doesn't speed up and slow down at a rhythmal time. It kind of you expect it goes pop, pop, <laughs> pop, pop, and then you're just like what? It kind of messes with you. I'm pretty sure that they would use that as some kind of you know, <clears throat> way to gain intelligence from captured suspects during the Cold War. <laughs> you know, uh, you think you're not going to tell us anything, but look out, we have the frustrations. <laughs> you could just, you could just yeah. imagine. So that's oh. what, that's you know, that's what happened. Anyway, so moving on, we get past, <laughs> we get past your mother telling you, I don't care if you have fun as long as you're quiet. Um, where did your where did your kind of your cardboard journey go from there? Did you ditch it like most people did, or did you continue on as you grew? Well, uh, we got uh, Trivial Pursuit at some point, um, right. which really uh, turned things around for my family. We loved that game. I come from a, a family of people who like to think they're very smart, and any chance we have to find out that we're wrong, we take. So. Um, <laughs> Trivial Pursuit was great. Uh, my dad was a huge Scrabble player all through, all right, his, all okay, through yeah, his life. Yeah. He, he passed yeah. a couple of years ago, but right up until the, the end, he wanted to play Scrabble. And my dad was just the nicest man on earth. He, he was kind. He was patient. He would listen to you. He would, you know, hold your hand if you were scared in the movie theater, everything else. But as soon as he started playing Scrabble, the man was Joseph Stalin. <laughs> like there is no mercy there is no mercy really? in Scrabble there is no possibility of kindness warmth or 
letting anybody have a thing. My dad would sit there with the dictionary in his hand. <laughs> I was going to ask the next question. We'd be looking at you and going, Buse isn't a word. Buse and, isn't a word. <laughs> and we all had very good vocabularies because my mom was a yeah. huge reader. Uh, she would uh. go to the library and grab 20 books and bring them back, and we would just all just sit there reading all the time. Oh, so cool. we, had, we had great vocabularies, uh, but my dad would just challenge anything. And he was a master of just setting up a triple word score. And he would go two or three turns of just two and three letter words. And you're like, what is he doing? What is going to happen? And then he would just lay down adjudicate. And the or re- re-oxidize it or exactly. something like and, the, and the game would just be over. You know, quixotic or something, yeah. Exactly. And, and, uh, and he would just, and he was a lawyer, right? So he, he was an oh absolute no. stickler for the rules. And he, would just was he, he was a rules lawyer and he, and no, he was a dictionary no, hog. he was not a rules lawyer. Let me get that All clear. Right. There was no arguing about the All rules. All right, okay. The rules were written down and therefore <laughs> they're fine. Everybody knows what the rules are, right? Because they're in the manual. Yeah. Yeah. So, but he would, uh, but when I say he was, he was a lawyer about it, he would go and he would lay out his triple word score and then he would pause for a moment and stare at the board through, you know, his glasses down low on his nose and he'd be peering at the board and they would say, well, that looks like it might be, uh, seven letters. And, uh, <laughs> I believe that gives me a bonus. And we're like, oh, Dad, you know exactly how many points this is. He's been sitting there for the past 20 minutes. He's probably worked out exactly. He's probably got three different ways of putting the word down so he he knows all the calculations. He's already worked out what everybody else could potentially play. He's already aware of what the end scores are going to be. Yeah, and he absolutely played Scrabble like the way way Grandmasters played chess. He, He was looking moves in advance. He was yeah. always, you know, he had a word, but he would never play on a word unless he had two places to put it. Yeah. Like, he would know, <clears throat> he would know on my turn, if I put down, you know, oxen on he, where he was going to put down oxidizer, uh, <laughs> he would already know that on his next turn, he could put down oxidizer uh, on the other side of the board, right? So That's he just... was a master. I mean, the man would just... It blow us all away. The, the number, the point disparities were crazy. Like he would end up with like four, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I can't remember what a really good score in Scrabble is, but it would be like five hundred points to somebody else getting seventy five. <laughs> it would just be annihilated them, and then he'd just walk away going, "Get over it, son. It builds character." No, no, he would, <laughs> he would, he would turn and smile at everybody and say, "Wasn't that a lot of fun? I, I really like this game." Yeah, you know, as as if as if any of us had done this by choice. Yeah, you know, as if when he brought the Scrabble set out, any of us were thinking, "Okay, maybe this will be fun." I think what was actually going through my head every single time, and it never came to fruition. But every single time, I was like, "All right, old man, this time it's going to be different." <laughs> and it never was. Never was. I've met mm. a couple people in my life like that who just were so good at one game. Um, the crazy story I have about that is I, I had a roommate once, uh, who was just really good at Boggle. And this That's is the game. The, oh, is that the game where you kind of, 
You're like rolling cubes that have got letters on them. Yes, you have a little box full of cubes, and each cube has letters on each face. And so you you shake the box, you take the lid off the box, and then you have to find words in the the cubes. It's a five-by-five, I think, grid of cubes. And you have to find three, four, five-letter words. Uh, And you can go diagonally, you can go up and down, you can go in circles, etc., but uh, and then everybody makes a list of words, and when you're done, you compare the list of words. This is a terrible game design. It requires <laughs> so much work to figure out who won. You know, I'm not a huge fan of victory point game games to begin with, but this one, you literally have to go through, and every person who's playing says, "Do you have a?" Yes, <laughs> I have a. So you cross it out because nobody gets a point if two people find the same word. Yeah, you only yeah. get points for words that only you found. Oh, so right, you okay. go down this list of a hundred words, and you're just scratching each one off, and you're <laughs> really hoping that when it gets to that one five-letter word, that only you have it, because the five-letter words are worth tons of points. But then you know you say, okay, well, does anybody have stayed <laughs> and S T A I D, and you look around the table, and you're just like praying that nobody saw it. And this person says, oh, no, I didn't see that one. Where is it? And you show them. The next person says, oh, I didn't have that one either. The third person goes, oh, let me look. And you, because nobody alphabetized their list, right? You're just writing it down as you find them. So somebody has to go all the way through their list, and then you're just sweating. Like, this is the (laughs) one thing that's going to make the game work. And then they go, stayed, 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 stayed. No, I didn't have that. I had staple. And you're like, why didn't I see Staple? <laughs> I had Mesopotamia. <laughs> <laughs> but so my, my, my roommate, uh, Sally, was just this very sweet young woman who was very unassuming in everything else in her life. She was just all, a really friendly, kind person who always was like willing to help out. If like when I moved in, she like brought me coat hangers, and she's like, "I thought you might need these." That's just a friend for life, right there. Absolutely, because you just you like, always forget. You know, you got a pile of clothes over your shoulder, and they're really heavy because you don't realize how heavy clothes are sure. when you're carrying more than five. Yeah. Oh wow! Just the nicest person in the world. But so she, you know, she loved Boggle, and. I, I've played Boggle before. Sure, I'll play Boggle with you. Why not? So we start playing, start playing Boggle, and she won, and she won, and she won, and she won. And I didn't want to play Boggle anymore, but she. Were really you kind of like getting? Were you kind of like getting dad flashbacks here? Were you? <laughs> were you like back to being like a ten, eleven year old boy sitting there across the kind of the yeah. the the ten by the was it the twelve by twelve board or whatever, sitting there going, "This is happening again." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, kind of, maybe, but uh, but no, Sally was a, this sweet woman wh- who I adored, would just play this game, and she would always feel sorry for me. That was the <laughs> hardest part. Every, uh, every once in a while, she, she would say, oh, I thought you were a writer. I thought you'd be good at this. <laughs> and she didn't, So she was trolling you no, as well. <laughs> no, she did not mean any harm by it. She honestly thought that I was going to be... Oh, that I was going to be like competition. She honestly thought that I was going to be good enough in this game to give her yeah. a decent game. Never did. So we played and we played. And I finally I said, I'm not playing Boggle with you anymore. It is just humiliating. 
And she's like, oh, and she was so sad. And I'm like, okay, fine, one more game. So, of course, we play 500 more games, right? <laughs> and uh, there was a day when we just went out to the park. It was a beautiful summer day. The grass was green. The sky was blue. You know, somebody was probably defecating behind a tree because it is New York City. But it, it was fine. <laughs> it was fine. You were and okay because we, uh, you weren't downwind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so we, uh, we sat there on the grass on a blanket two of us just playing boggle there's two friends just having a lovely day in the park and we're playing boggle and it's you know it's a drowsy kind of hot summer day and i'm looking at the boggle board and Sally shakes up the cubes and she puts it down and she takes the lid off and she says go and we start going and there's a timer going and so you're you're totally concentrating on the board and and so i'm just writing down words furiously and i'm going you know just Every word I can see, and I'm working my brain as hard as I possibly can, thinking I got to give her at least a run for her money. And we get to the end, and we have our lists. And Sally goes, "What? What?" And I'm like, "Sally, we we need to check our lists." And she's like, "Oh, right, yeah, it's just such a nice sunny day. I wasn't really thinking about it too much." <laughs> and I'm like. Oh, no, this is it. This is this is the game. This is I am not going to be treated like this. I will not be humored. So I'm like, let's go through our list right now. And so we do. And we go through and mostly we have the same words, but every once in a while I'll have one that she doesn't have. I'm like, yes. I am absolutely convinced this is my turn. And we get and we get to the end and we total up the numbers, we get the points, and I won by maybe three points, which is nothing, but it was a win. It was a win, and I had it. I finally beat her for once and for all. Maybe this was, you know, vindication <laughs> for all those times I lost to my dad at Scrabble. But, yeah, I, I was. I looked at her, and I said, Sally, I'm, I, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but I won this one. And she goes, oh, that's great, Dave. That's, that's really nice. And I'm like, no, no. I won a game of, of Boggle against you. I won a game. I. Why are you not reacting to this? I won a game. And she goes, yeah, well, I didn't want to actually say anything, but I fell asleep halfway through the game. <laughs> and I was just livid. I was like, wait, you, you fell asleep while playing Boggle, and I still only beat you by three points. I couldn't believe it. Oh my god, it was worse. It was worse than losing all those times. <laughs> ah. Did you play did you play again after that? Oh, hundreds of times. Did you ever anymore. win against Did you no, ever win against ne Sally? Never won against Sally. You she, never won against Sally. And it, I think that's <clears throat> it's it's interesting. I you know, we talked earlier about how children play board games differently than adults, and of course, yeah. adults played board games for different reasons. And mm. I think that uh, my playing Boggle with Sally, as much as I did try to beat her, as much as I was intent on giving her a challenge, I think that it was just a point of our friendship. Like, I, I agreed as her friend to always play Boggle with her. And no one else would. So, you know, it was, it was an act of kindness. And I think that, that, you know, board games are so social at their core. And we think of them as if they are analogous to video games. We think of them, 
mm. you know, as if they're like other kinds of games. They're not. You're playing no. with another human being or multiple other human beings. And the relationships you have with those people are what the game is about. It, the game may be about zombies. It may be about curing diseases. It may be about, you know, victory points or, you know, getting the right number of cards or whatever. But in the end, and I'm not trying to get all deep suddenly out of nowhere, but... Uh, <laughs> It's fine. It's your night. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> there your, you go. it's your show, so you can tell me to shut up anytime. No, nah, um, do that. But uh, yeah, I, I think that you know that's. I think the reason why we keep coming back to board games, even the bad ones, is because it's more about enacting friendships and relationships. It is, or it's a way to be friends with someone or love them, even that doesn't. You know, that it, it can be a little abstract. It can be a little distanced. You don't have to say embarrassing things to each other. But yeah. if you play Boggle with somebody five hundred times, knowing you're going to lose, you know. I mean, that's. I mean, I mean, do you do you still are you still in contact with Sally? Is Sally still out there boggling away? Do you think? Uh, she came to my wedding. We did not have time to play Boggle, unfortunately. But uh-huh. uh, yeah. We, but we. I think we talked about it. I think. I think I said something. I think I told the story about about winning Boggle when she <laughs> at the wedding. Yeah. Yeah. And she probably just stood up and she went, "Not once, Wellington. Not once." <laughs> no, she would never do that. That's the thing. If she, if she was so nice. If she was like that, I would not have kept playing. You know, if she had been mean about it, no, hell no. Yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna keep doing that. But because she was so sweet and and just. Uh, and to her, it wasn't about humiliating me. It was about this it's funny. Fine. It was funny. It was this humorous thing that we shared, and it wasn't a joke at my expense for her. It was, no. you know, it was this. We both knew I was going to lose. We both knew I would just like fly into a rage about it, and I would just be <laughs> so embarrassed. And but we both also knew that that was funny. And 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 you know it was it was going to be a, a good time, regardless of how it ended. Uh, you know, and, and yeah, I, I love games, man. It, it's just it's so it's such a great way to be with people. So, um, what are you playing just now then? Because as we said, you've got a group. So, and you know, moving on to after Sally. I mean, you meant well again in the in the green room. You mentioned. As you said earlier, the group. So, when did you move? Did you then stay with board games after that? I mean, or have you kind of got back into them after a break? Or where are you just now with them? Well, the thing we haven't even mentioned yet, which is the big deal, is role playing games, which yes, is a whole other topic of conversation. But, uh, but I also play a lot of board games still. So let's keep talking about board games. So I have a group that I play uh, legacy games with right now. All right, okay. Uh, we played a lot of uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill, mm-hmm. which is, I think, might be my favorite board game of all time. And I'm happy to talk about that. But right now we're ta- we're uh, playing the Legacy games, um, playing Pandemic Pandemic Legacy about a third of the way through and loving it, uh, which is hilarious because I, I, when I played Pandemic before Pandemic Legacy, I thought, geez, that game is just so hard. Yeah, and it's like you know, even uh, other co-op games like Forbidden Island or even Forbidden Desert, not nearly as hard as Pandemic. 
oh my goodness, that, that game is just so rough. And, when, and it makes you think about the theme, too. Like, that's the hardest part. When you lose a game of Pandemic, you're like, oh, everybody died of, a, of Ebola. <laughs> exactly. There's uh, a big whoops. plague going on. Yeah. And it's also it's a game that bites back. I mean, usually when you're playing a board game, you're, it's kind of a, <clears throat> it's a passive thing. You know, the, 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 you you roll your results, you move around the board, you take kind of actions, and then if you're moving into something like Pandemic, Pandemic's the first game where the the game doesn't actually like you, yeah. kind of thing. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't want you setting up shop in Atlanta. It doesn't want you getting to London. It doesn't want you going to Beijing. It certainly doesn't want you to kind of, you know, to get your kind of cure together to start curing places and it does its damnedest to kind of wreck you know wreck your responses wherever you can um i've said this probably hundreds of times now but my kids the one of the first board games that we played was pandemic mm, wow okay. and that was their that was their introduction to kind of what board games could be like because i wow. think before then we had played the latest kind of kids kids-friendly version of Monopoly, mm-hmm. which was just so sanitized and so non-competitive that nobody actually ever won. It was just awful. You mean as opposed, and then I went, as, a, right. as opposed to the regular version of Monopoly, which people win all the time. <laughs> which people have lost limbs over. Uh, which No, which people win all the time. Nobody ever finish, yeah. finishes a game of Monopoly. No. Like, Monopoly is one of those games where you win the game by refusing to stop playing longer than anybody else. <laughs> you just wait until people fall asleep or need to go to work. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> or pass out. <laughs> one of those things. But yeah, Pandemic, um, it was, yeah, as I say, we're kind of playing as you learn it, and then you're like, oh, there's an outbreak. And then what happens with that? Well, that goes there, that goes there, that goes there, that goes there. Okay, that's fine. Well, we need to go here. We need to go there. But what it did teach them was, unlike other, ever, any other board game that they played, <clears throat> they had to cooperate together. And it's like, well, who, you know, are we against each other? It's like, no, the, the way that you win is we have to work together. And it's like my two eldest, so you can imagine how they were together. They were kind of, kind of, at the beginning, it took them about halfway into the game before they got it because they were kind of making suggestions and they were completely ignoring what each other was suggesting right and then all of a sudden they were kind of like oh okay and we got like one outbreak we had a break after that and then we got like another outbreak so you know what that meant it just meant you know absolute absolute carnage oh yeah so so you met obviously pandemic legacy which everybody loves and i haven't played Pandemic Legacy and okay. because of the campaign but it is fantastic isn't it? I mean I don't think I've had anybody that said otherwise. I will not give you any spoilers but I will tell you uh, just some generic stuff about it. So it's yeah, um, it is Pandemic. It's the game you know and love. Uh, mm. It is slightly easier than Pandemic because you don't have to cure and eradicate all the diseases. Yeah. Uh, at least not in every game. You start out, uh, you have to meet certain objectives, and one of those objectives might be cure all four diseases, or it might be eradicate one disease. Yeah. And if you meet the right number of objectives, you win the game. No right. So it's not quite as hard, at least not at first. No. Um, 
it adds all kinds of crazy complications and weird yeah. new things, and it's awesome. But uh, one of the my favorite things about it is that you, it becomes a kind of role playing game because you know you have your character that you're playing in the game, whether it's you know the uh, researcher or the medic or the <clears throat> excuse me or the uh, dispatcher, uh, etc. And those characters, uh, those roles are so crucial to the game of Pandemic. You have to have the right people playing the right roles, right? So mm. if you have a group who's playing Legacy, they will stick with the role. You don't have to. The rules do not require it at all. But I've, I've every time I've talked to somebody who's played Pandemic Legacy, they're like, yeah, I'm a really good medic. <laughs> yeah. you know, so I'm always, I always play the medic. And it's a Legacy game. And I don't, have you played Risk Legacy? I haven't. No, I haven't. Oh, okay. I've, you know, I've because you know, as my my issue always with legacy games is running campaigns where you're like playing more than one or two rounds. It can be difficult to do because not everybody's at the not everybody's at the club, and then it can be difficult stringing kind of weeks and things together. But I, from what I've seen, and I've seen Pandemic Legacy kind of played there's stickers going on mm -hmm. there's envelopes there there's yes. marker pens on cards and basically the game kind of you know we've talked about it a few times and the game kind of kind of changes month by month and you you get scored on the month and whether you succeed on the month and there's i mean i'm trying i you know i think I think every second, if not every third guest, mentions Pandemic Legacy and every single person doesn't go into any type of detail about it because they say, well, you have to experience it. It's yeah. it like a roller coaster. I can sit here and I can explain what a roller coaster ride is like to you, but you're never going to understand what a roller coaster ride is actually like until you get yourself right. kind of on the, on, on the kind of the roller coaster itself. Have you been playing long? I mean, how far are you into the campaign on uh, Pandemic Life? It's, it's, it goes by months, so it's, yeah. it's you know, it's January, February, March, and so we're, we just finished March, so we're only a third, oh. a quarter of the way through the game, but there's already been crazy stuff that's happened. <laughs> and so the, the reason you gave for not playing it is unfortunately the correct reason, and, and I'll tell you, um, so I'm, I've been playing both Risk Legacy and Pandemic Legacy. Yeah. And Risk Legacy is absolutely a pickup game. You don't have to play every game to, yeah. to get the story, to understand what's going on. So the guy I know who owns Risk Legacy, right? He he and I played this have played this game two or three times. He's played it with other people multiple times. And so every time I go over there and see the, the state of the board and what has changed <laughs> something different. And what crazy thing has come up. Yeah, it's it's just immensely fun. Pandemic Legacy, I think you really should play with the same group of people throughout. Yeah. Um, the story itself is no more complicated or whatever than the Risk Legacy story, but the relationships you build between the various roles, the you know the character classes, whatever you want to call them, um, yeah. is just so vital. Like there are multiple ways to play it uh, based on which roles you have available. Like there, are, I think there are six roles. And there are, typically you have four players playing it. And so you'll have two roles that just don't get played. And that changes how you're going to win the game. Because if people don't know Pandemic, I guess there's no, you can't really spoil a, a base board game. So no. the, in, in Pandemic, you need to 
send people around the world. There are four diseases that are sweeping the planet, and you play the Centers for Disease Control. So you have to send people to various cities to treat diseases, uh, to wipe out outbreaks of disease, and so on. But you also have to have scientists who are studying diseases looking for cures. And so it's vital that everybody knows what their job is. And those jobs have to intersect perfectly. Uh, it's a very hard game, and it's a, you know, like you say, the game is mean. It really is. It's oh, yeah. I mean, it's a puzzle It's a puzzle game. I think um, the only thing that, um, the only thing I've ever seen ruin Pandemic is if you have somebody that um, has played Pandemic a lot, mm-hmm. and it becomes almost like a, a puzzle um based on sets of movements and sets of reactions because I think what eventually, well, the kids still like to play it, but what kind of put them off is once you get into the rhythm of knowing how to deal with things in a certain way, unless you're very, very unlucky, it can be straight, relatively straightforward to win Pandemic. And it's one of these games I've seen um, what we call quarterbacked a lot, where if you get one person that's played a lot coming in, you have to tell them to shut up so people can experience the kind of the losing side. Because folk will just say, right, you go here, you go here, take that there, you take there. Are you the medic? Then you go here. If you're the dispatch person, send this thing here kind of thing. And you can end up in kind of that kind of that situation. You know, which well, but I, the thing about quarterbacking is, and, and I, I, I've heard this and I've witnessed it in some games. Absolutely. There are some games where somebody will just take over and be like, I know how to do this, so just listen to me yeah. and we'll get through it together. Yeah. And, and that can be a real buzzkill for people who, you know, want to be part of the solution. But um, I got to say, there, there is another, there's another kind of player who wants that. There are players... Oh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. yeah. The play, yeah there are play, yeah. players who just want to be along for the ride. And, and, they, yeah. and, the, and there's nothing wrong with that. They get an enormous amount of fun no. of watching the quarterback solve this problem and be, yeah. and getting every once in a while getting to participate and, and saying, yeah, how can I help? You know, yeah. there, there are players who love no. that. Yeah, I saw that in um, when we played. Now, we did a kind of a chat on about... Um, me and Colin did a chat about Letters from Whitechapel. Um mm-hmm which um, has been uploaded to YouTube. It's a quick plug, but it's a quick plug. Um, um, And Whitechapel is where you're... It's basically, it's Jack the Ripper. So somebody plays Jack the Ripper, somebody plays the police, and it's one person against, you know, a whole pile of other people. And... um, Every round, the between the police... Between the police squad... One person decides to be the inspector, and that inspector basically tells everybody else what they're meant to be doing. Now, when we were playing Whitechapel, Colin was happy to tell people, "Okay, let's go here. What's let's go there. Let's go," because he he kind of was figuring out what was going on. But some of the other guys, when it came to their kind of inspector thing, they weren't. You know, they would prefer. They were like what you said. They were happy to step back. And kind of be told the best way to kind of play it. Yeah, yeah. You know, but um, have you played Letters from Whitechapel? No, I'd love to though. I've seen. Get it? Of it. Oh, no, it's, it's 
fan. It's so um, we had a lot, a lot of fun with it, and I can't recommend it enough. It's just a, it's a, it's a fantastic game. A lot of tension, a lot of fun, and it's hidden movement as well. Right, so right. it's there's a little bit of um, it's kind of a bit stressful, kind of um, going about. But um, <clears throat> is there any other? I mean, is it the kind of the legacy? Kind of way is that kind of when you where you're going going with games as well? Have you have you looked at things like Seafall at all? Have you looked at that? I've heard mixed reviews, and and you know, you know, you say get what is from which apple. I have a list of board games to get so <laughs> okay. long, like just the the game you know games that came out in the last year that I want to play. That list is so right. long. That's the thing. I I think that uh, it, what's fascinating about what's happening to the hobby, right? is that there are so many more games now. Uh, and maybe there were always that many games and we just didn't hear about them. You know, maybe only people in Germany got to play the great game of 1992. You know, yeah, exactly. Um, but, like, you hear so much... You, there are so many games coming out, but also there's so much media about them. Uh, which is a good thing. I'm not complaining that, you know, people are podcasting about board games. Not a problem. No. No. Um, it's a great thing, actually, because you can find out in advance whether it's the right game for you, rather than spend, yeah. spending your 50 bucks on it <clears throat> and then realizing you wasted your money. Which Well, I think the good thing about it is it's informed by a community that are actually playing the stuff, yeah. as opposed to games seem to sell very, very well based on an awful lot of non-advertising dollars being spent yeah yeah so you know so game a game can become a massive hit like say like say code names for instance mm-hmm. code names i've never ever seen an advert for code names on the internet on tv on no. youtube no. on anything like that but i mean every single person i know that's a board gamer has heard of code names or has probably played code names actually my microphone <laughs> is currently sitting on a copy of Codenames <laughs> to kind of to kind of raise it up, and also because it's uh, it kind of helps with the um, the sound absorption okay, as well. Yeah. So Co- Codenames is a very very useful um, it's a very very useful game. Um, it's also sitting on co- top of a copy of um, a game called Lab Wars as well. So <laughs> just because I'm quite tall, so <laughs> I need a I need a lot of board games. I'm not going as far as putting like mechs and minions on top of that because oh, that would just be that would just be overkill. Well, that would just be you, that would just be daft. And if it fell over, you'd be crushed to death. So there's that problem. <laughs> Have you seen the box? Oh Have you god, played it's it? huge. I've not played it. It's but amazing. Box, yeah. Oh, co- it's just fantastic. Codename. You bring up codenames, which is is, is interesting. I, mean, I think you are going to see advertising for codenames because aren't they doing a uh, Disney version of codenames? Yeah, I mean, um, I think um, there's another game, Love Letter, okay? Yeah. And Love Letter, you get a Batman version of Love Letter. And Munchkin, you get a Shakespeare version of Munchkin. Right, yeah. And Codenames, when Codenames came out, there was the Codenames, and that was it. And then there was Codenames with the pictures. Yes. And then there was Codenames and Not Safe for Work version. Okay. And then they're doing a Codenames <clears throat> kind of Disney and they're branching out, and they're wondering, is this is this going to be the next thing? Are we going to see an oversaturation of board of code names? <laughs> what do you th- do? You think? Uh, no, I. I <laughs> ah, know. part of the problem here is that you keep, you keep mentioning games, and I'm like, oh yeah, I want to talk about that. 
So, uh, you know, we could sit here all day talking about Munchkin. We could talk about Love Letter. Uh, Love Letter is fascinating because I bought it as a game to play with my wife. And my wife, yes. is, my wife is a huge board games fan. Don't get me wrong. All right. This is absolutely right up her alley. Card games. She loves them. What she doesn't like is to lose. <laughs> and okay. so we bought, I bought Love Letter thinking, hey, this is a game we can play on the train. It's uh, a game we can take with us on, on vacation, anything else. And so I'm like, okay, well, let's play this game and see how it works out. And we start playing. And in Love Letter, you get little red cubes. And when you, <laughs> you get seven red cubes, you win the game, right? And Do you so, still have any of those red cubes in your ear? No. No. But that, but that was the problem. I won seven games in a row. Oh my goodness. It was all luck. She, like I say, she knows how to play these games. She played the hell out of that game. I won seven games in a row. And it was just luck. And we finished, and I looked up at her, and I said, so, a game we can take traveling with us, right? Because it's so small. And she's like, we're never going to play this again. <laughs> you wasted your money. I hate this to be, game. To be fair on to be fair on Love Letter, it is it's a game that you get more out of it when you've got I think the when you've got like more than two players. Yes. I think, you yeah. know, you have a table full of like four players, you can get a really, really good game of Love Letter going because everybody's second guessing kinda of what kind of cards. When you're playing a two player, if you've got kinda of like the guard <laughs> Or you've got like the um, if you get something like say the prince or I think it's maybe the king where you swap hands, and then you get the guard, yeah. <laughs> then you're in a lot. Then you're in a lot of trouble. So I I, I, I don't know. I can kind of I'm kind of not on the side of your wife, but I can a little <laughs> bit be on the side of your of your wife. But um, um, you've mentioned the list, <clears throat> as in there's a pile of. There's a pile of games that oh, you want to play. Yeah. So, putting it down to <laughs> to obviously making a, making a man make very very quick decisions yes. and putting him on the spot. Yeah. What's the top? I mean, what's the three games that you know you would maybe like to? Okay, here we go. Right. Yeah. You're running down the street. Uh-huh. The zombie horde is chasing sure. you. Sure. As they often do. You, as they often do. Not very fast, obviously. A lumbering but slow and steady pace, as they also do. Perambulating uh, and considering flesh. Right. And you burst into a board game shop. I've got time, sure. You've got time? Okay. You lock the door behind you. Lock the door behind you. They're moving so slowly. Yeah. As I'm being chased, and I see a board game shop, I'm like, well. I can probably I can probably run in, get something, and get out before they catch up with me. Sure, absolutely. So you yeah. you know you're going back to your you you're going back to your um your bunker, which is pretty much zombie proof, and there is a group of five there's a group of five to fifteen people waiting, right, right, to potentially be entertained because the nights are the light nights are long and full of strange noises. There's three board games, and, you, and this board game places stock to the brim. Oh, great! So you. You push a pile of um, mechs versus minions against the door, so there's no way they're getting in through that way. And scythe. Uh, put scythe on top <laughs> of it. Scythe's not... Scythe's kind of big, but it's not... Okay, okay. Not uh, Kingdom Death. 
There you go. Kingdom Death. Kingdom Death is a bunker. You could live in Kingdom Death. <laughs> Kingdom Death, you could probably, yeah. you could probably actually put the minis outside and the zombies would think they were other zombies. There you go. <laughs> let's, let's face it, the size of them. Or they'd, okay. they'd be scared. They would be scared of, of the minis <laughs> and they'd run away. Yeah. And you're in this situation. What three board games do you grab, David? <laughs> Well, okay, uh, uh, let's qualify this. So I'm going to get out of yeah. this. I'm going to get out of this by making you dis- define the situation so narrowly that there's only one answer. So, okay. okay. So how many people are in that bunker? You said five to 15. I, do five. I, do I not know how many people are in the bunker? Cause I might account. You're not, I might account you're not sh- left for the day. You're not sure, but you, you're aware that, um, they're, they vary in, they vary in, say, you know, Five of them are maybe really, really like their board games, and the other ten are really just quite happy to 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 have the company and play some board games. So they're kind of people that are open to board games, be it complicated or not complicated. Sure. Okay. Great. That's good. So, yeah, number one is Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective because I have been wanting to play this game for years. Okay. Okay. Um, and I know some people don't even consider it a board game. That's fine, but it just looks so awesome. I just want to. Play. Yeah. Um, I understand there are problems with distribution. I understand there are problems with typos and them thing, whatever. It doesn't matter. It just looks like fun. And again, that's something my wife and I can do. Because I think that is probably best as a two-player. Yes. Yeah. No, no, yeah, yeah. I heard, um, uh, I mean, just try to think. Duncan, will, uh, yeah, Duncan from Osprey Games. Him and his wife played Consulting Detective. And they loved it. In fact, he went to try and find the expansion that had gone out of print, and I think he found a really, really old version to play it. So, yeah, definite two-player. Okay, so that's number that's number one. What's your second one? Well, the second one I want some advice on, because I've been looking for a long time for uh, a party game that can do, like, 15 people. Um, All right. And I, I, haven't, haven't, I haven't found one that stands out from all the rest. I think, like, Two Rooms and a Broom sounds pretty great. Um, uh-huh. The various versions of One Night Werewolf are probably crowd pleasers, but I have played Werewolf in the past. I didn't like it that much. It's uh, good fun. Okay, <laughs> that's what a rousing endorsement. I, they should put they should put that on the box. I, yeah, it's, I just thought you know it's dot it's, dot it's, dot it's, fun. It's okay, Richard from We're <laughs> Not Wizards. Podcast. It's uh, no, it's it's good, it's good fun, it's good fun. You have to get people that are in the mood though. Okay, with all these types of kind of like role, it was almost like a semi kind of role playing game. You need kind of people that are really, really into it. If you get people that are going there, there, then it can become quite, it can become quite, uh, quite dull. Um, <clears throat> so my, do you know what would my? Uh, I was going. Go yeah. No, 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 you were saying. <laughs> my wife and No, my... after you. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> no, damn it, I'm going right now. So, okay, so um, my wife is... You a, were saying? My wife... Oh, thank you. Yes. <laughs> if I may... <laughs> okay. Uh, so my wife is a school teacher. She uh, teaches high school, and she... Uh, what do you call high school in the UK? Is it secondary school, or... Oh, you call it high school as well, yeah. Well, then, okay. There you go. Ugly American over here. Okay, so um, <laughs> no, maybe learn a little funny. bit about our friends across the pond before I do the podcast. I don't know. It might have been a good idea. Uh, okay, so there's no offense here, you know. It's okay, like, you know. all right. So um, yeah, so she teaches high school, and so she actually uh, as she teaches history, and 
when she's doing a unit on communism, she actually uh, has her kids play werewolf. All oh, right. And okay. Not to, this is not a dig against communism. It's a dig against uh, witch hunting and, and you know the sort of purges that happen under Stalin and so on. She talks about how scary it would be, or like under Joseph McCarthy here in the states, you know who, how scary it would be to be living in a time when you can be grabbed up off the street and forced to defend yourself in court and maybe you go to jail for life. And so she plays werewolf with people to like to get them in this mind state of, you know, everybody's a potential enemy. Everybody is dangerous and you have to find out who it is. And if you get it wrong and you end up killing innocent people, that's part of the plan. Right. So, uh, but just to talk about how, just absolutely terrifying those parts of history were, she will get them to play werewolf, which I think is a brilliant thing. But the version she has was put out in like 1986 or something. It is the cheapest, most tacky, most useless. It's it's the most basic stripped down version of werewolf. I think it's like a bunch of tokens in a box <laughs> and it costs $20. You know, it's, it's, yeah. and it's not even like good tokens. It's like they came still on the cardboard sheet and you had to punch them out with your thumb. Uh, so they've all got like little sprue marks around the side. It's like, oh, oh yeah, okay, yeah. That's yeah. that's twenty bucks worth of game right there. A game <laughs> that is in the public domain that you could just like you could just made your own cards, you know. But uh, so she's got this just junk version of, of Werewolf, and I've always wanted to see like the streamlined, high tech, fancy, futuristic versions that are out now. I, I kind of I kind of want to play that, I, but I would need to get fifteen people together. So there, you know, yeah. That. Uh, I, I from you know from what I, from playing Mafia and things like that, um, those those games do tend to work better with a larger group, uh, just because it's it's hard to lie to three people who you know very very well and not have at least one of them look you in the eye and say you're full of it. <coughs> no, you're lying. <laughs> So yeah, a game like that. So like something like the coup or resistance. Or, you know, I guess it's the coup resistance, right? Have you um, uh, have you looked at have you looked at Mysterium? Oh, I love Mysterium. Oh my god, that's just such a great game. Yeah, I've only played it once, but I just adore. That Mysterium. would be so great, and it's it's it, it's fine if you're playing single players, mm. but if you group two people together in a team and they had to decide what they were selecting the rounds, the Heated discussions would be fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah. Ah, that would be cool. Interpretation. Dixit's pretty good as well for interpretation you know, as well. You when know, groups. You know, I've I've played Dixit and I've played Mysterium, and I will play Mysterium again. Yes. Um, Dixit was cute and fun. Dixit's for kids, I think. It's more it's, of a. It's I think of like a younger audience, I think, and it's. But it's it's. Yeah. I, I think what it comes down to is this is you know why theme matters, uh, hmm. and why a cohesive theme matters. Like, there's no explanation for why your 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 old tokens in Dixit are bunnies. That doesn't yeah. doesn't make any sense. It's cute, fine. It's random. Okay, great. Uh, hmm. means nothing. Mysterium is a cohesive game that tells a story without beating you over the head with it. Like it, it's, um, you know, it's not, it's not like playing uh, the the oh God, uh, Arkham stories or whatever the big Eldritch Horror or whatever the yeah, the big Warcraft yeah, games yeah. are. It's not like you're having to read an entire book to play a, a board game, right? Nah. But if, no. but Mysterium without 
without imposing really the theme on you, still benefits so enormously from its theme. It works so great as you're this bunch of you know psychic media mediums who are trying to contact a ghost uh, to solve a murder. It's it, it's just like all the the artwork and the the big you know the screen that the 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 ghost sits behind with the ravens on top. Um, everything about it is just it's just yeah so beautiful. And Colin thinks I don't like it. Isn't that a crime? The number of times I have said and gone on record to say, actually, I really like Mysterium. Because when we first spoke about it, because I lost, and I'd I'd like to fundamentally, categorically say I did not go into a huff. Okay. I managed to persuade like three or four, uh, three other people to go for the wrong killer. And then had a fully justified explanation as to why it had to be that person, and I still got it wrong. So, Colin always colours me with that—that um, that I actually hate hate kind of mysterium. But you're escaping the question, Mister Wellington, yep, because this yep. is the second game. Well, that so, you know, mysterium. <clears throat> I might I might get mysterium on that list because I don't okay. I don't own it. I've only played it the one time. No, you have to get it then. No, so treat I yourself. To get it. Yeah, it's a great game. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful game, and it's it's yeah, uh, the theme is is also right up my alley. Like yeah. I have heard good things about like Blood Bowl. But I have zero interest in American football, so, you know, am I going to play it? Probably not. Yeah, and I've also, my wallet would complain if I think I went out and bought the base game for Blood Bowl, because it'd be going, well, you know where you're going with this? This is going right. to be X-Wing all over again. Um, yeah. Ten, <laughs> ten expansions and team packs yeah. and everything else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. mortgage time. Um, your have... third game of choice. So I don't, I don't get to talk about expansions and stuff. Okay, fine. <laughs> for Blood Bowl, have you it's been a, looking at the expansions for Blood no, Bowl? No, but just expansions in general, and then oh, you know, the way the way that works now, and you know how you because I the one of the reasons uh, Nick Jones told you about me was because I had tweeted about uh, Betrayal House on the Hill, yeah, uh, Widow's Walk, which is the yes. expansion to a game that's twenty years old, right? And yeah, and so I wanted to talk about that, and and, and here you're you're just you're you're just you're distracting me with this this just zombie shut, shut horror. You down. This zombie Listen, you know you're me. deciding the um, conversation. If you want to talk, about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not steering it in any way, shape, or form. I did not put down that scenario as a massive segue okay. for you to potentially okay. talk about your normal job. But that's fine. <laughs> Let's talk about the betrayal. No, that's okay. No, you've done it now. Um, <laughs> Um, oh, and that's all we've got time for. No, I'm oh, only joking. Okay. Um, right. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm only kidding. No, it's um, fine. It's fine. The expansion uh, for Betrayal on House of the Hill. Come we, on. Yeah, Widow's it. Walk, which was new. Yes. It was news a couple months ago, and now nobody remembers it, and then probably for a good reason. But yeah, uh, it's. Ooh, that was a bit harsh. It was. It was a waste of money, and I'm, I'm sorry to say, I love. It. Like I say, I say it right at the top of this show. Betrayal on House yes. of the Hill is probably my favorite board game of all time. Yes. And you so did say that. when an expansion came out. I pre-ordered it. I would have kickstarted that thing. They didn't do a kickstarter. I don't think they did. Uh, I would have jumped on anything to get more Betrayal of the House on the Hill. Instead, what I got was a really watered-down, kind of annoying uh, fan-celebrity tribute to this game. So, if people don't know what I'm talking about at all, 
Uh, Betrayal and House on the Hill is a game that Avalon Hill put out, I think, uh, like 20 years ago. And yeah. In, in a time when people were not playing board games. I went to, or not like they are now, and I went to a role-playing game convention called NukeCon in Omaha, Nebraska, and it's called NukeCon because, uh, theoretically, Omaha, Nebraska is the first place the Russians will annihilate in a nuclear war. So they were taking pride in that. Um, it's where the the dispatchers are for our nuclear bombers. So that, that's the place. Total tangent. I was at this convention. I played Betrayal House on the Hill at this convention uh, in between role-playing games and just fell in love. It is an incredible game, and especially for somebody who likes stories the way I do. And I'm a writer. Of course, I like stories. Betrayal House on the Hill... Uh, if people don't know, it's, it's a game that comes in two parts. The first part is you are exploring this old, creepy, abandoned house. And you are building the house with tiles as you play. The second half, so every once in a while during that process, you move a, move a tracker down another number and so on. And when it hits the right number, the haunt begins. And the haunt is the whole point of the game. So you have a booklet that has 50 scenarios in it. And I have played maybe 30 of them at this point over years, years and years. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, not everybody wants to play this game all the time. So that's fine. But I would, but, you know, okay. So (laughs) the haunts can be anything, and they all have their own rules. So you start out playing a game you know how to play, and then halfway through, all of the rules change unpredictably, and you have to learn a new game on the spot. And um, so the haunt can be anything. It can be scary. It can be funny. Um, there are some that are straight up surreal. I don't. Yeah. Uh, and this would be a very minor spoiler for a game that came out twenty years ago. So there, um, some of the haunts are like you know, oh, it turns out that one of the players is actually a serial killer. And right. they have to try to kill all the other players, and the other players have to kill them. And so there will be rules on how you do that, which don't exist in the base game. Some of the haunts are, you know, crazy. The, the craziest one we had was there's no, like, you know, that a giant bird comes along, picks up the entire house in its talons, and flies away. <laughs> and there are parachutes in the house... But the rules say there is one less parachute than there are players. So it becomes a race to see who can get to these parachutes first and get out of the house alive. Uh, And and that's the thing. You never know. You never know what's going to happen in this game. It's always a fun story. And there are new rules to follow. There are new tokens to put on the board. There are new items and new, new cards and everything. And it's just great. I love this game. I've seen I've seen it played. I've seen it played because I recognize because the figures themselves are slightly they're they're usually all painted. So I think the figures themselves are kind of like pre-painted yes. in the recent the recent version that I've seen. And I think the scenario that if I remember, I remember the guys talking about the scenario that they played, which was um, something to do with 
the spectre want, was an alcoholic and wanted one more, one last bottle or something like that. <laughs> okay. It was something fun and stupid. Yeah. So they had to go and find out using certain clues. They had to find out where his old liquor stash was or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure I'll get shouted down at the club <laughs> when the guys that played that played it will, you know, they'll pick up on that. But that was the kind of thing. What did um, what did the expansion do so wrong? So the expansion uh, was a dream project of the games designer, and all you know, more power to them. They, they, they I, I'm not going to name names because I'm going to get really mean here in a second. But you know, this is uh, obviously you could look it up. But um, it, it, so his plan was always to have an expansion of this game. The game did not do well. It went in and out of print. Uh, you know, there were there was a second edition, but nobody bought the second edition. And then Wizards of the Coast got involved somehow, and it was just—it's a game with a torturous history because it came out like five years too early. If it had come out in the middle of the board game boom, it would have been a, a, just a hit. It would have been huge. Yeah. Um, but because it did, because it came out too early. It kind of suffered. So, but the designer was like, this is my favorite game I ever designed, and I wanted to do an expansion. What he chose to do was he went and got a bunch of celebrities to come up with new haunts. Now, let me start with the good part, because there is some good stuff in the expansion. It adds another uh, floor to the house. It adds an attic to the house. And so you get more tiles, you get some, uh, you know... There's a, they add a, I think, I think a dumbwaiter to the, to the house, uh, to help move around the house. You get more tiles, you get more cards, um, and items and so on. You don't get any new characters, which is a mistake, I think. Uh, right now I think it's a five player game, it could have been a six player game easily, or if it's a six player game, it could have been a seven player game. You know, um, it is a great game for a group of, a, a larger group in that sense. Yeah. Um, so they didn't add any new play, you know, new characters. They didn't add uh, it, the 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 additions other than the new haunts are nice, but they're kind of unimaginative. So okay, you know, not every expansion was great. The problem yeah. the problem is the haunts. And so what he did was he got a bunch of celebrities to write new haunts for the game, and okay. that sounds fun. Like, he got people from the movies, he got people from television and board games and role-playing games and video games to write new haunts. And it's not like he got, you know, some reality television show star to write a haunt. These are all people who are content creators. Absolutely. And I think he really had the best of intentions with this and really thought this was going to be great. Because he got some really smart, talented people to do this. The problem is none of them had actually played the game. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I'm sure he sent them. I'm sure he sent them. I'm sure he sent them copies of the game. I'm sure yeah. they opened them and looked at the rules. Fine. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to call out any single celebrity. Um, I'll call out. I'll call out one who was probably one of the, one of the biggest celebrities <laughs> I'm not going. Call I'm not calling out any, but I'm just going to call out just one. one. It's just one. <laughs> So, it's the Spanish Inquisition all yeah. over again. <laughs> so Pen- Pendleton Ward, who is the creator of, of Adventure Time, um, yes. which is a great show. Everybody loves it. It's huge. Yes. You, you go to a convention, and I always feel sorry at the convention <clears throat> for the guy who has the second best 
you know, Jake the Human costume, whatever it is. Uh, yeah. The second best, you know, Finn the Dog. Is it Finn and Jake? I can't remember which one is which. Um, but it's it's a fun show, and, you know, you go to the, they, they, people cosplay the hell out of this thing. And for good reason, because it's cute, and it's fun, and it's colorful, and splashy, and bright. So, Pendleton Ward wrote one of the haunts for the game, and it is easily the most unbalanced and unplayable version of the trail of house on the hill i've ever seen <laughs> it is totally rigged against the haunter which is the mistake like you should always the haunter should always be at, at the advantage because it's, yeah. it's one person against many so the one person should be super powerful instead they have no chance of winning whatsoever it is next to impossible for that person to win unless you feel sorry for them uh, and let them win. So, yeah, I, I'm not going to give any details about anything because I don't want to spoil things for people, even for a bad game. But um, I've played several of the haunts. I've just read a couple because I was like, we're not playing this again. And they're <laughs> just they're just not very good. Uh, it, it's, you know, the, some of them have some clever ideas, but they're clever ideas mm. for games for other games. There are clever ideas for, you know, oh, wouldn't it be great if the, if a board game did this? Not, wouldn't it be great if you could do this in Betrayal of House on the Hill? It's a total yeah. mismatch uh, for the game, and it, it just, it, it, my friends who humor me by playing this game, right, because I always want to play this game, um, played through a couple, and they were like, wow, that was kind of okay. And... <laughs> I could see in their eyes, they're like, "What? maybe we don't have to do this anymore? Like, maybe this yeah. is all for the best because Dave won't want to play anymore? Um, yeah. You know, and it was so sad because I was so excited. This is my favorite game in the world, and there's more of it. You know, that should always be a good thing. And in this case, it was just such a disappointment. Uh, you sound like the guy that convinced a group of his friends to go and watch The Phantom Menace in the cinema right, when it came exactly. out. exactly. That's exactly what this is. <laughs> And I, you know, I, I know I'm being super harsh, and if I wasn't such a fan of the game, of the base game, no. if I didn't love it and think it was brilliant, I, I, I don't think I would care as much, you know, and I, I don't think that I would feel so let down. Um, you know, and if all you want to do is just buy something because Pendleton Ward had something to do with it, knock yourself out. You know, get him to sign it at a convention or something and put it on your shelf. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but it just, it seems to me like that was a good marketing idea. It was not a good design idea. And yeah. in the end, it just suffers for it. And I think, uh, you know, if you had gotten people who love the game and who play the game a lot, but because this is such an obscure game, uh, or was once upon a time, there just aren't that many people who know it that way. And so yeah. it was going to be impossible to find 50 people who can design for this game, you know. And so what he did was he found 50 random internet celebrities, you know. And, and, and just got them to do it. And instead. got them to do it without any kind of guidance, as far as I know. Or, and I could be completely wrong. I could be, like, slandering this man. And, 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 and I really hope I'm not. Um, it's, it's fine. It's fine. He's on him. Um, he's going to be coming on the show in about three weeks. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll get him to listen to this before sure. he comes on and he can, he can reply. Um, um, please, he might be please, no, please. Not. If he does hear this, I love your game. I think you made one misstep, but I think, uh, I think you're a brilliant fine. designer. When, you, when, he, yeah. when he wrote the haunts, they're all great. You know, yeah. all the haunts in the original game are fantastic and they are well worth playing and they are just so carefully balanced. It is just a question of balance in this, in this expansion. There was no real attempt to balance these things. No. And the game is, just becomes unplayable sometimes. Uh, you sound like you do sound like somebody has taken like your favorite album or your favorite your favorite food or your favorite jumper or even, you know, like your favorite pair of shoes. And have basically, you know, just dumped a whole load of slurry over the top of it and went, there you go. What do you think of that now? I really don't want to be the, that guy. I don't want to be the guy who says David Bowie never, never made a good album after 1968 or something, you know? Yeah, yeah but we know it's true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, David Bowie made great That's albums just not, after 1968. Yeah, absolutely. You know, other David Bowie albums are available. Um, yes. But um, <laughs> that's that's not true. We don't want to get incur the wrath of the, the the kind of the David Bowie. I don't know what they're even called—a collection of David Bowie fans. Yeah, we don't want um, for that wrath. I'm not. We part do of not this. want. I am not part of this. I love David Bowie's entire. We can edit. We can oh, I edit. Tin, we can tin edit. Machine was amazing, man. Oh, I could listen to that all day long. No, David Bowie was a superstar and will live forever in our hearts and minds. Uh, absolutely, R- I agree R- with R- that. Richard here apparently uh, thinks he was a, a jerk and, and, you know, thinks he couldn't put two notes together. Well, that, that's, Overrated as well. That's the, opi- that's, the, that's the opinion of the We're Not Wizards podcast. That is not the opinion <laughs> of David I didn't like his white face makeup and ashes to ashes. Oh, Can I just oh, say that as well? Oh. <laughs> just the bulldozer thing. The bulldozer didn't drive fast enough. Um... <laughs> Uh, but again, your third game, oh, you're you're just game. scouting away. Yeah, Come on, well, yeah, you've had your ex- you got your expansion rant. <laughs> I okay. was expecting a gentle chat about an expansion. I didn't realize I was walking into the middle of a word apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I made it clear that I love the game. You know, it, it, that's the thing. oh yeah. Just the but you're allowed to criticize the things that you love. Yes, that is the whole I point. Hope, that is I the whole so. the point of criticism. You know, you don't criticize something. And that does not mean you hate it, and, which and, some know, people I don't get. That's such a problem we're having today is that uh, there is so little criticism. And yeah. and I think that uh, there are so many games, and I think part of the problem is Kickstarter, and Kickstarter is, is a great thing for a lot of reasons, but I think it really hurts the board game industry um, hmm. for this reason alone. It helps a lot of people get games made that they would yes. have otherwise not get made, and that's a wonderful thing. But it kind of it takes a step out of the process that is a super important step you know and so when you kickstart a game you're saying this game is going to be great so give me money i'm not going to show it to you you're not going to play it in advance no one knows what it looks like no one knows how it plays but just give me money because it's going to be great and people give them the money and they get the game and you never hear about it again <laughs> and the people who liked it great for them the people who think they wasted their money oh that's too bad it's kickstarter yeah uh and nobody talks about the game because nobody's gonna buy it in the store because they got it on kickstarter 
So, you know, the review sites, a lot of the review sites won't do Kickstarter games because they can't. No, because you won't see them again. But then on the other side of it, to counter your point, yes. in a debate in a debate type style, and I'm leaning against my chest of drawers now with one elbow up in a type of a d- debate stance. Yes. It's almost I was standing at a lectern. Mm-hmm. It's to say that you your, uh, there are some schnez on your nose. <laughs> your cravat is adjusted just perfectly. It is, it is indeed, and 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 Bunty is sitting in the audience. She's willing me on. Um, is the, the, there the, the are lighting some... in here is okay for you? <laughs> is it too warm? Too cold? <laughs> I could do with it. I could do with a, 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 some iced tea if you don't mind. Um, on to counteract that, there are a lot of games on Kickstarter that. Um, that fund well, yes, and are very good games, mm-hmm. but do not found, but never fund enough to see a second printing. Right. So there are that there is that side of, there are, is that side of things again. I think Kickstarter is getting into its um, point where you have to have reviews, you have to have video playthroughs, you have to have a lot of testimonials, and you know, I find that. We are speaking to a lot. Well, we've we've done a few shows now. We've had people that before they're even their campaign, they're hitting almost like the the trail to speak to people like us to say, okay, this is what this is what I'm about. This is what the game's about to have a kind of a chat. And we've spoken to we spoke to guys like um, Frank West recently, whose Kickstarter's out the might even be the end of this month. He was talking about his game long before the actual Kickstarter can campaign coming up because I guess on the other side of it. You've got these big corporations that are like Weta. You know, we spoke about Weta in the last episode have just released their first board game. The Weta, the visual production studio that did Lord of the Rings. And they're putting a board game on Kickstarter. I guess they're trying to see what, you know, what the kind of interest is on it basically so that's it's interesting it's interesting third game david well no i, I have game. so many more thoughts on kickstarter though are <laughs> you are, are you going to deny the world my 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 wisdom my i am i'm going to deny you i tell insight? you what third third game and kickstarter okay 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 <laughs> the problem with third game is that i don't know uh, i don't have a good answer it, it, there are so many good choices uh you tell me what's your favorite game that came out in the last year I'm trying to think. There's so many. There's a there's a list of there's a good list of few. There's yeah. um, catac- you see, catacombs. You see my problem. You see my problem. There's so many <clears throat> great games out right now. How do you pick the third one? Like, uh, I own code names, so I don't need, don't need to pick that up. Um, Dead of Winter. Dead of do Winter. Do you have Dead of Winter? I do not have Dead of Winter. I played it once. Really enjoyed it. I don't remember it all that well though. You have to get Dead of Winter. It's, I remember it being really complex. You have to get Dead of Winter. Well, okay, then I have my third game, don't I? There you go. You have to get Dead of Winter, and you have to get the expansion, the long, the the long night. Uh, uh that would be a fourth game, wouldn't it? Uh, just an expansion. It's just like uh-huh, a, it's uh-huh. a side game. It's a separate game, but it is a kind of expansion. Right. But yeah. yeah, it's kind of three and a half games. Uh, yeah. See now, now who's, now who's trying to, now who, I'm who's just ruining saying. the bit? Now who's ruining just, the bit? Right? Are you pulling pulling rank on me? Because this is my podcast. <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, I thought, um, I thought you, I, before you said that it that it was my conversation, and then I could just talk about whatever I wanted. And I know, but then you know I'm deciding things, and sometimes on occasion, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. 
I'm awesome. I'm sitting there. I've got the dictionary. I'm looking at that right, word that you exactly. put in bird yes. on the board, and yeah. I'm saying, David, that that is definitely not a word. Okay. All right. <laughs> Kickstarter. Anyway, you were going to say. You know what? Kickstarter. I'm just going to jab the pinchers in the operation game, and I'm going to get that bird basket <laughs> out. And I don't care how much noise it makes. <laughs> Stop that! Right, right, right. right. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. I'm taking. I'm, I'm taking back the power. You see. I, I, yeah, I'm, you've done that. I, I've taken back the power, so we can talk about Kickstarter. <laughs> right, Kickstarter. I could go on all day about Kickstarter. Nobody wants to hear about that. I'm kidding. Oh, come on. I'm kidding. Right, okay. Okay, so... Right, yes. okay, okay. This is why everybody tuned in to hear some semi-obscure science fiction authors take on Kickstarter. So, yes. So, Kickstarter, it is... Uh, I've, 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 I have not done a Kickstarter myself, but I know people who have. And I think one of the problems with it is that you have to add a person to your team who is the Kickstarter person. Uh, it is a full-time job running a Kickstarter. And so you're already increasing the amount of money you need to make the game um, by kickstarting it because you need to hire somebody to run the Kickstarter. And I think that that's a really circular problem that means that games cost more to make. Uh, yes. Even when they're crowd because they're crowdfunded, you know it, the old method before Kickstarter was brutal and meant that a lot of games never saw the light of day because you had to go to a publisher and convince them to give you money sight unseen to make a game, mm. or you had to bring them a prototype and hope that it was you know that your little pieces of paper glued together were going to impress them enough to for them to actually see what it could be. And now, with Kickstarter, you have to not only have somebody who's going to run your Kickstarter, you have to have somebody who can do video, you can have to have somebody, you know, for a board game, you have to have a multimedia person. Yeah, you uh, do. Yeah, you have, I mean, the, bar, the bar's been raised, basically. You need to have not only a prototype of your game, but you have to have a finished copy of the game before you ask for money to finish the game. Like, if you go on Kickstarter with unpainted minis, on a map that has been printed out in black and white, no one's going to back that Kickstarter. You've got to have finished, printed stuff. And it can be cheaply done, you know, and maybe there's, it's a recycled piece of paper and on the back is like a Chinese takeout menu, but you know, it's got to look good enough for the photographs. So all of your art needs to be in place before you start asking for money. Our yeah. Art is the most expensive part of making a board game. Oh yeah, it absolutely is, and we've spoken a few, quite a few people. In fact, one of the recent person, one of the recent people that we spoke to, Sarah Kennington, and she is running a Kickstarter campaign for her project Orsum, and she basically paid all the art costs before the Kickstarter, and she's not putting that. In. I don't think she's figuring that into even her target, because she says I've got to get this made. And I knew I was, I'm going to get this made, you know, this game has to get made. So therefore she's already shelled out quite a lot of money. And yes, you, you're completely right. You can see the games where somebody has obviously had to put a good two, three thousand pounds into a game before they're even asking people for money. And then you can see the games where the guys have said, well, are you good with Photoshop? Yeah, I can mock up something on Photoshop. Um, are you good with the video? Yeah, well, let's just you know get the mobile phone, stick it on 4K mode, and and take ourselves a kind of a video. So, 
Yeah, it's it's kind of weird because it is almost the case that Kickstarter is starting to move away from what it was designed to do in the first place, which is a strange opinion to have. But if you think about it, if you have to, you can't go with an idea as much as maybe when you did first maybe go to Kickstarter and say, okay, here's my idea, would you give me money for it? So it's no longer like a Dragon's Den types, you know, Dragon's Den type scenario where you're rocking up with maybe an idea or one prototype and saying, okay, here it is. If you give me some money, I'd be really grateful. What you've got now is you've got the pre-noise, which happens sometimes like a six, a year to six months before the campaign's even out. You've got to get your art together, like you said. You've got to get your prototypes together. Yes, you have to consider actually having potentially two or three manufactured games already because you've got to send them around the review circles because there's certain guys you want to get your eye on your game because they have big YouTube followers and they can spread the world. You've got to think about maybe doing interviews. You've got to think about contacting people that do blogs. You've got to think about your Twitter profile. You can't just kind of launch a Twitter profile two weeks before you put your game out kind of thing. You know, you want to be going in with an audience of a couple of hundred, if not 500 people who are kind of catching your tweets as you go on. So yeah, it's a, it's become, it's a mini industry and you can see with all things like video games have a mini industry behind them, which is the kind of the YouTubers, the bloggers, the commentators, the Kickstarter people have a mini industry behind them, which again is the guys that do pre-production art they will do your production videos they will do your layouts for you they're the the guys that i've spoken to that do kickstarters and one of the biggest guys we've had um was um he was um he's on their like third fourth campaign peter blanken he gets he was getting contacted you get contacted all the time by marketing companies that will claim to market your kickstarter for you so it's a big is is it big? Is Kickstarter the same as it was kind of maybe a couple of years ago? No. Is does it mean are we raising the bar and is there a glass ceiling now for that guy who is sitting there with maybe the next Magic the Gathering? Potentially. Yeah. But isn't that the same? Isn't that the same with all things though? That there's a lot of ideas around there that you know, everybody says they've got a book inside them that they that never gets written. Sure. So, but you, you've done that because you've got books written. Okay, I wanted to say. Now, I wanted, that to, for I a wanted to say one more thing about Kickstarter. One more <laughs> Go on then. Because I could say I could say twenty more things about Kickstarter, but I think I know you there's can. one, and I'm actually going to make a plug. So okay. sorry, I'm, I'm right, going to hijack that. your podcast. No, that's fine. No, you can hijack. Go for um, it. But this is a good one. So uh, I'm a huge fan, and this is an example of something wrong with Kickstarter. And the the thing that's wrong is that it's all or nothing. Um, if you're five pounds short of your goal at the, when the timer runs out, you get nothing. So um, there's this band I love. It was, a band, it was big in the 80s called Shriekback. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe you've heard of them, maybe not. They were, you know, they were a great band. And they have been continuing to make music since 1980. Okay. They're on their, like, 23rd album or something. And the last... 12 of those albums sold a thousand copies each, but they sold for 20 bucks each and the band was able to make a profit out of them. So they just kept doing it. 
Um, and I have heard these albums. I love these albums. You know, this is the age of the micro fandom, right? So there are only so many people in the world who remember Shriekback, and there are only so many people who will buy the new albums. But we are keeping this band going, and they're turning out great music consistently you know, decade after decade. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So they saw that they had this following and they said, well, would you like us to go on tour? You know, we Hmm. haven't been on tour since 1995 or something. And I'm like, yes, please. I absolutely (laughs) want to see you live. I never got to see them live back in the eighties when I was a teenage fan of this band and it would have meant everything to me. Right. And so getting to see them in a, as a, nearly 50-year-old man is going to be a completely different experience, but it is going to be a hugely moving experience. This is a band I have loved for 30 years, right? So they, they're like, can we? if we did a tour, would you pay money in advance for this tour on Kickstarter? And I said, yes, I would. So I donated to their Kickstarter. Uh, the band's called Shriekback, um, you know, and, and absolutely everybody who remembers them, everybody who wants to look them up on, on YouTube, absolutely check out this Kickstarter. It would be worth it. That's the plug. They are... They've got... There's time left in the Kickstarter. I think there's two weeks left in their Kickstarter. But, All right, okay. So there's... It, it, it's not over by any, any sort of the imagination. But they are sending out messages saying, please, 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 can you donate again? Because All right, okay. we're probably not going to meet this funding goal. Hmm. And it may just be that they're scared. You know, the Kickstarter is a terrifying thing. Um, yeah. But if they if they're ten pounds short at the last second, and I'm not there to throw in another ten pounds, you know, which I, I hope I would be, <laughs> but I can't throw in a thousand pounds. You know, at the, at no. the last second, that would you know, I just can't do it. That wouldn't be good at all. So if they if they're ten pounds short at the end, I'm not going to get to see this this tour. It's just not going to happen. And they've already said, look, if we can't make the money here, it's not like we're going to try again. Like, you yeah. know, they are, these guys are in their 60s now, and probably, and they're like, you know, we want to do this to say thank you, but if you don't want us to do it, then we're not going to do it. So yeah. this is not only about money, this is about gauging our desire to see this happen. And if we say, eh, we weren't that interested, it's never going to happen. Which is a shame. It's such a shame. And think about if you're a young board game designer who has spent years of your life putting together a board game, you know, honing it, playtesting it, getting feedback, taking it to conventions and talking to people who probably don't want to talk to you. And, you know, just the, the endless grind of that and the discouragement of it and the pain and the suffering because you love this game. And you put it on Kickstarter, and you ask for $20,000, right? Which is a lot of money for you, but if it's everybody's donating 20 bucks, it's not that much. No. But then the day comes, and you're three-quarters of the way into your Kickstarter, and the thing is, you make almost all of the money on a Kickstarter the first day. Uh, maybe the first couple days. And then it just tails off, and the contributions come in minimally towards the end. So mm. it's a ter- and there are, there are exceptions of course, but that that seems to be the usual way it works. Is that people, if, if people are going to contribute to a Kickstarter, they already know they want to when it happens, so they they put in the money right away. 
Yeah, I mean, there's different mechanisms in place. So you get like kind of Kickstarter kind of picks and stuff like that as well. But it is down to the individual to keep kind of making making the noise, which is the different. But yeah, we'll um, I'll search this project down and we shall tweet it out a bit. So be cool. there are lots of things I could talk about Kickstarter about because I think I obviously have very passionate convictions about Kickstarter, but um, I could talk about. I want to talk about your book. See, I was going to talk about why stretch goals are a terrible thing, but I will allow. I want to talk about your you, book. I will allow you to ask me about my books because you know I'm a friendly guy and, and I, I I want to help your podcast any way I can. <laughs> So yes, please ask me about my books and and where people can buy them and <laughs> why I am such a great writer and, and and all these things. Yeah. Why did you? Okay. Do you ever play zombie board games yourself? Yes. You do. Next question. Okay. Next question. Next thing is okay. Next question. Okay. Why? Why in a kind of a, a genre that people would say is very a busy one what made you pick up the pad and the pen and talk about kind of i guess genres which were very you know as i say were quite busy well, why what made you decide to oh, write well, about zombies in the first place see when i started they weren't so thank you very much uh yeah no i I'm, i've been doing this for a long time my first zombie book came out in 2003 yeah at the time, there were a couple zombie movies, and the thing was just starting to pick up speed. Um, and that's when I started writing. That uh, it's not when I started writing; it's when I started publishing, because suddenly zombies were hot, and so I haven't happened to have a zombie book at the right time, and so it got published. Uh, this was not me jumping on a bandwagon, no sir. No, no. Well, maybe a little bit, because the the dawn. The, <laughs> The, uh, 28 Days Later and the Dawn of the Dead remake had just come out. And, and 28 Days Later was amazing at the time. And, and it and kind still of, is. 20 days and later. it helped kind of redefine the genre because it took zombies from being shambolic, kind of um, mindless, kind of just, I guess, kind of annoyances in a lot of places to these were real, they were really making them kind of real threats again. Yes. Kind of thing, yeah. which was very, very interesting. Which, okay, so is that when you were writing and when you were when you were writing the character of Gary? This is Monster Island, yes. okay. Mm-hmm. Now Monster Island is on first glance, it's kind of like your it, people would say, well, this is your typical kind of post-apocalyptic zombie-filled, you know, kind of oh something's happened, people have to take a trip in order to get important item from here. They're obviously going to have to go into potentially one of the most highly zombie populated areas in the world, you know. Um, and and then you throw in Gary. <laughs> yeah, I did. So, you know, so was it when you were writing it? Was that impo- was it important that you were trying to kind of do something different with the kind of the story? Uh, yes, I mean, I, I always want to do something different. I I, I never want to just do what somebody has done before. Uh, mm. It's just boring to do to write. I, I, mm-hmm. I, it, it may be interesting to read to, to see somebody's new take on something, but mm-hmm. um, to write it, it's often boring. Uh, so I wanted to do something just totally different uh, with my zombies. I also so the story about Gary is interesting. So 
when I was writing that book, I was posting it on the internet, uh, chapter by chapter, mm-hmm. so anybody could read it and give comments. And the character of Gary was supposed to be in a couple chapters at the start of the book and then die and disappear. And the people who were reading the book online loved him so much that I was like, oh, geez, okay, I guess he's the center of the story now. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, he's a great character, and, and I just kind of lucked into that. Um, so people who have not read the book, the what we're talking about is there's a zombie in the book who has maintained... Who is different. He's... Let's just say he's different. Let's not spoil it completely, because Gary is a kind of a zombie character, but he is a different... He is different to what you expect a zombie would be, and the films have progressed to the films have progressed to the point where they've tried to introduce this notion of Gary in the films. I think it was Land of the Dead I saw not too long ago that kind of had tried to introduce this kind of thing. But um, Monster Island is the first in a trilogy of books, isn't it? Yes, it is. So you've got Mo- so you've got Monster Island. Monster Nation. And then Monster Nation. And Monster Planet. And then you've got Monster Planet. And Monster Planet's kind of like the, the... Is it the prequel? It's kind of like to how everything happened, isn't it? No, or no, I'm no, wrong? no. Monster Nation is, is the... Monster Nation so, is, right. Okay. Yeah, so Monster Island... I wrote Monster Island uh, just on its own, not thinking there would be sequels. Um, and starting right in the middle of things where the zombie like had already kind of taken place. So yeah. I wrote Monster Nation to talk about how it got started. Um, and it has completely different characters, uh, and it's set in a completely different location and everything else. And, but the, you know, the, it's the same world, uh, mm. the same universe. I think these are, I'm sure mm. these are terms that your readers may have heard before. Uh, your readers, your listeners. Um, so, and then Monster Planet, the characters from the other two books come together. And, all right, okay. Everything just kind of goes crazy and kicks yeah. kicks off yeah exactly and so um it becomes a sort of race to see who's going to determine the fate of earth after the zombie plague so again i'm not going to get any spoilers because apparently you're going to cut me off if i try so uh i yeah i am i think that people should actually pick up you know they should have a read and they should pick up pick up the books because the um what you're doing with the story and what you're doing with the characters is a bit is a bit more refreshing, and it's good to see somebody actually try something different, um, as opposed to try and base. Well, what you're doing is normally it's like when you've got this kind of situation, it is almost like the zombies are there, but let's build the characters around it and show them how they're kind of doing kind of different things. You know, The Walking Dead is kind of very thingy like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got one side of it, but you don't ever, you don't really get the other side of it, right. kind of really. Right. So I thought, you know, you end up kind of, yeah, I mean, Gary's awesome. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's kind of, you know, yeah. you know he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's an interesting, uh, he's an interesting kind of character character to to kind of read about as well you know it's um yeah no it's um it's good no it's good it's kind of good it's good kind of good fun has that i mean other books that you've done you've gone into is it vampirism as well vampires that was that came next uh that started with 13 bullets um which and there again i was trying to 
do something a little different. <clears throat> that was, at the time, it was even before Twilight. This was before True Blood. Uh, Laurel K. Hamilton was the big vampire author at the time I was writing this. And she wrote these romantic vampire stories about a woman who falls in love with a vampire uh, and their dating life. And I was... Yeah, they're, they're, they're good books. <laughs> they, they are. They're, they're, yeah. they're perfectly good books. I, I have no problem with them. Uh, and people who enjoy them really, really like them. I'm not going to tell anybody, don't read this book because it's crap. You know, when if you enjoy it, it's not. Like, if you if you like something, it's not bad. Uh, you know, and, and people telling you it's bad are not going to convince you otherwise. <laughs> so no, exactly. I'm not going to tell anybody what to read, but I read those books and, and thought, well, these are fine, but... To me, vampires are scary. <laughs> Strangely enough, uh, somebody who wants to drink the blood out of your neck is scary. So um, I said, I'm going to make the nastiest, gruesomest, viciousest, you know, evilest vampires I possibly can uh, to try to show another side of this. So um, instead, I always say that instead of Date, instead of wanting to date you, these vampires want to rip your head off and drink blood out of your stump. Um, uh, it's lot Lost Boys kind of thing. I mean, that's what a vampire should be. Right, yeah. I'm sure you. I'm sure you've seen the picture on Facebook of kind of like this is what like um, this is what a vampire looks like. This is what a werewolf looks like. This is what uh, a zombie used to look like, and things like that. And then and they've kind of got. Um, Oh, this is what a wizard used to look like, and they've got like pictures of kind of like uh, Robert Pattinson from Twilight, as opposed to kind of like Kiefer Sutherland in Lost Boys or something. Well, like. And they're just like saying, "When did it? When did? When did they make the monsters also kind of cute?" Well, but that's the thing. I mean, the, you know, uh, Kiefer Sutherland was definitely supposed to be this pretty boy who, you know, in comparison to Corey Haim, uh, you yeah. know, and even Dracula, even Bram Stoker's original Dracula novel. Dracula is this very charming, attractive character. Like there is something there that leads to the sparkly vampires. It's a- yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's not like the. It's not like you, he was menacing. I mean, when when Stoker wrote the original thing about va- about Dracula, he was charming, but there was a menace about yes. him that kind of was all the way through. You look at, you know, I'm not be and okay, we're going to get the wrath of the Twilight fans. I don't know if we'll get some strongly worded letters from them. <laughs> but, um, you know, but, um, you know, it was, um, it was just a kind of, there wasn't a kind of a menace. He was kind of like, oh, I'm kind of all shiny and stuff. And, and there wasn't any kind of, you know, it was kind of like glittery and just, I'm a pretty boy and he was meant to be like an, a kind of an animal that was cursed from way back when. I mean, yeah. it kind of completely, you know. But you, I mean, looking at like when you you did the same thing with Thirteen Bullets, you see, you did an on, online serialization, yes. And then you went and just went. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go vampire daft. Me. I'm just gonna write lots and lots of books in a very very short period of time. No. Okay, so another thing I wanted to do with that series, and I'm interrupting because this is actually like a serious thing. So I, yeah. I knew that the other thing about those uh, romantic vampire series is they went on forever. I think <laughs> that uh, I think that Willow K. Hamilton wrote 25 of those books, and right. they get worse as they go along. They actually hers get 
turns her into hardcore pornography as they go along, which is oh, okay. fascinating. Because really. they start they start out very prudish. Uh, the first book, she won't have sex with the vampire because that would you know be against God. And then by the fifteenth or sixteenth book, there's stuff going on <laughs> that I, I Hugh Hefner would blush. I, the, 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 the stuff that she that she writes, you know, and more power to her again. If that's what people want to read, then absolutely they should be allowed to read it. But that wasn't where I wanted to go. I did not want to have diminishing returns. I always knew with the vampires, I wanted to write five books, and yeah. it was going to tell one continuous story. And, and yeah. have an ending. Uh, that it was not a soap opera. This was this was the story about this one vampire hunter's journey, start to finish, and you know from the first day she sees her first vampire to the day that she kills her last vampire, and it was and or gets killed by them. I shouldn't give away the ending. Uh, but so, um, <laughs> okay. but yeah, it was going to be one continuous story, and it had a serious, concrete ending. And I actually kind of shot myself in the foot doing that because I constantly get people saying, when's the next book coming out? Um, I wrote two werewolf books, and at the end of the second werewolf book, this is a total spoiler, I don't care. So at the end of the second <laughs> werewolf book, literally every werewolf on Earth is cured. Oh, well, there you go. Because that's over, is that over winter? Yes, and it's the end of werewolves forever. And t- t- ten years later, I have people asking me when the third book comes up. And I'm like, what would that book be about? <laughs> there aren't any more werewolves. <laughs> so, yeah, this was a very conscious decision on my part to keep things, you know, tight. And, and just not have these never-ending, ever-expanding stories that just get kind of lost. Uh, I wanted a, a real ending. And now you've moved on to, you've moved on to the plague zone, or what they say, I, the, which is the you, plague zone. And then you've got you 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 seem to be a big fan of doing kind of like ebooks instead of the the print. Is that just your modus operandi? Is that how it works nowadays? Uh, part of the problem here is that you don't know about my pseudonyms apparently, because. <laughs> Yeah, no. This well, is, this is I could go on and on about the story, the story of my writing career. That's not why people tuned in for this podcast. But um, <laughs> no, so Plague Zone was an online thing I wanted to do to thank my fans who had followed me online and got got no. me started because I my write, I wanted to be a writer from the time I was six. Uh, I had been writing pretty much nonstop since then, and it was thirty years later that I finally got my first book published. Uh, and it was because of Monster Island being online. Uh, a lot of people saw it online, and the publisher actually came to me and said, this is kind of a big deal now, can we publish this for you? And that doesn't happen. That like, never happens. So, no. no. Um, it was very exciting. And they brought out this book. They, I think they printed 4,000 copies. It sold out. Um, this is the part where I'm going to start bragging, and I know British people cannot abide a braggart so maybe i should stop. no you just brag go away it's fine so you know the story has lots of twists and turns there have been lean years too trust me but so for a while there i was kind of famous and it was because people had seen my stuff online so yeah. i wanted to say thank you so i gave them another free novel in plague zone 
um, which was only online. It's never been published. It's you can buy it on Amazon, but it's as an ebook. But it's never it's mm. never been published as a paper book. Um, and it was a long time before I actually self published it because it was just like I wanted this to be just for the online fans. Um, so yeah, but I've published lots of books since then. So uh, zombies, I did positive. Mm -hmm. Um, which is completely unrelated to my previous zombie books. It is, uh, the story of positive is that the zombie virus is, uh, it can incubate for 20 years. So you can, you can be infected and not know it for 20 years. And then one day out of the blue, you just like that turn into a zombie. Um, and so the book is really kind of about what that does to society uh, you know, where like literally there are people running around who may 20 years from now kill everybody they see yeah, or maybe they're fine and there's no good way to test except to chop their heads off and, and study their brains and so <laughs> that'll do it so what they do is if they think you might even possibly be infected they tattoo a plus sign on your hand and you go through life with everybody looking at you knowing that at any second you could try to bite their face off. Um, strangely enough, people don't treat you very well. So, <laughs> so that's positive, which is, uh, it's by zombie epic. It is a huge, huge book in terms of number of pages. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's very long and it's very, I'm very proud of it. So that was my latest zombie book. Um, more recently, I've been doing other genres. I did uh, some fantasy novels as David yes. as David Chandler. I wrote three fantasy novels. Uh, the first, All right, okay. The first one is called Den of Thieves, which I hope people might check out because it's really, really fun uh, if you like fantasy. Um, and then most recently, I'm doing science fiction. I did uh, a book called Forsaken Skies, and that's under the pseudonym D. Nolan Clark. D. Nolan Clark. Yes. <laughs> And that just came out in the UK in paperback. Uh, All right, okay. And it's gotten great reviews, and it's doing pretty well. I'm totally thrilled about it. It's it's a uh, it's basically Seven Samurai in space. Uh, is the best way to talk about the plot. It's not just a copy of the Kurosawa movie, but it's uh, that's kind of the starting point. Is there's this planet, this farming planet that's been uh, attacked by aliens, and the aliens are going to come back. But the company, the corporation that runs the planet, decides that it's more cost-effective to just let everybody there die uh, than it is to defend the planet. That sounds like a that sounds like a decent way to do business. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, if everybody dies, they can't sue you. Uh, I suppose so. so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. American business logic at its, its best. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So uh, basically, some you know, ragtag band of rogue starfighter pilots decide they're going to save this planet, and then it gets really weird. So <laughs> right. So it's not just Seven Samurai, but it kind of starts from that. And, and no, uh, no. I mean, we'll um, we'll what we'll do is um, as normal, we will put um. We'll put links in the show notes, so we've got kind of like links, kind of links to show, um, so everybody everybody can hear. Because I take it you've gone down the kind of the route of the pseudonym, so that you weren't 
tied into the genre, or you could go ahead and write about different genres without being kind of kind of judged, I guess, on the work. Yeah, it wasn't entirely my idea. Um, hmm. the, my editors kind of pushed for it, and then my agent thought it was a good idea, and I thought hmm. about it. Yeah, there, there's a point to that. Um, yeah. This idea that, you know, somebody who picks up my science fiction book and loves it and then says, what else has the guy done? I don't necessarily want them picking up a book about a vampire ripping somebody's head off. Um, no. Because they might get really turned off by that. You know, there are people who don't like blood and gore. And I to- yeah. totally get that, and I've written books that have no blood and gore in them. I totally understand. Um, yeah. If you do like blood and gore and intestines being dragged down the street, I I also have books for you. Yeah, you're having a house party. I have I no. have a, I have, I have a full service provider here. You know, if you want graphic depictions of sexuality, I, I I've written books like that. And uh, oh, there you go. You know, not pornography necessarily, but like I wrote a couple thriller novels, uh, which I intended for a slightly more adult audience. And so yeah. they ha- there is very graphic sex scenes in them. My horror novels do not have any graphic sex scenes in them because that would just disturb me too much uh, to put those two things together in the same book. So these are very different kinds of books. Uh, My style is the same. You know, I do a lot of action in my books. I do a lot of just... um, I I really try to have characters that you're going to relate to and care about, but who are not necessarily nice people. Um, I, I really like putting in characters in my book who are jerks, you know, unpleasant people, but then who are heroic at the same time and who you will root for. And I, and I yeah. hope by the end of the book, even if you thought they were a jerk at the beginning, you'll understand them better by the end. Uh, so yeah, I, there, it, I'm, I'm the same writer and there are things that I carry out through all the different books and the different genres, but I am very careful to not put something in a book that someone is going to be really turned off by um, if they were looking for a story about rocket ships and explosions in space yeah. then maybe yeah. they don't want the graphic sex scenes and they don't want the intestines no. being dried down the street and so having a different name for those books uh, kind of make sure that if somebody does want to see all my different books they can easily find out my pseudonyms and find them but they yeah. won't accidentally pick something up that's going to be too much for them. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're you know we're applicable. Um, as I said, we will put um, we'll put some links out there. So if people have been listening tonight and they've been like, yeah, they sound interesting. Let's um, let's go and pick them up and go or give them a read, and we shall do that. If people want to, I guess find you in other places. Do you have a present on presence on the Tinter webs? I do. I have several. Uh, you can go to davidwellington.net which mm-hmm. is my very antiquated and abused homepage. Um, mm-hmm. but it's got lots of links on it to various things. Uh, you can go to follow me on Twitter at at last trilobite uh, which and uh, he, he, well, I, I have my Twitter set up so everything I put on Twitter gets posted on my Facebook. Um, and I very rarely use Facebook. I mostly just do Twitter. Um, but you can find me on Facebook. I'm David Wellington. Um, and I do occasionally put longer pieces there because they won't fit in the 140 characters. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. That's the only use of Facebook I can find, is that you can do longer things than Twitter lets you do. Um, cool. Otherwise, I hate Facebook. Uh, probably, probably shouldn't. I probably shouldn't say that during this part. Yeah, no, That's but uh, don't go go to Facebook. I don't like it. <laughs> but obviously, you, you can uh, get check out my books wherever you buy books. There are plenty of independent bookstores that you should definitely support that are selling my books. Yes. Uh, I just heard about this one independent chain in the UK called Waterstones. I don't know if you've heard of it. Oh yeah, they're massive. Waterstones yeah, I, are huge I, I was in the UK, kidding. Yeah. I was kidding. I know about Waterstones. Uh, yes, I used. I, I know I was kidding. <laughs> I spent. I, I I lived in London for a year, and oh my god, I lived in the Waterstones. But um, yeah, so they the there was a Waterstones that just uh, made my book Forsaken Skies a staff pick, and right. I am thrilled to say you should go support that store. Um. Yeah, so wherever you want, wherever you get books, independent bookstores are always great though because you can actually talk to people and who have read books, and they and yeah. they will give you good recommendations. Uh, I don't want to plug like the big elephant in the room, of course, which is Amazon, but I do have uh, an author page on Amazon, and um, oh, there you go. You can see all my books there. Cool. Right, and if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, we are also on the interwebs. So we are, you can find us Twitter, We're Not Wizards. You can find us on Facebook at We're Not Wizards. We are on Instagram at We're Not Wizards. We're also on YouTube as well. What we've done recently, we've uploaded the <clears throat> seven or eight episodes with just the audio only. So if you like to listen to your audio through your YouTube instead, you can do that by searching for We're Not Wizards, but there is a link going to be a link in the show. You can email us, magic at we'renotwizards.com or .co.uk. If you've listened and you've liked what you've heard, then please head over to iTunes and drop us a rating, a sub, a review. As we always say, don't give us a 10 because it makes our heads far too big. And don't give us a 1 either because it makes us cry. But if you settle for 5 stars and a nice little comment, it'll make me and Colin very, very happy. Um, I think that is all, almost all about, all about done. But David, this has been, this has been a lot of fun. It sure has. I hope you've had a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, definitely. Good. As normal, there are only um, a couple more things that we have to do. Now, the first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, David? No, no, we're not. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. And the next thing is to uh, say goodbye. So it is a goodbye. Okay. I, I can't. I uh-huh. can't keep living a lie. What is it? I, I, I'm not a wizard, but I, I <laughs> when I play role playing games, I always play a wizard. I just knew you were going to say that. I knew that's why we didn't talk about role playing because I thought yeah. there's a guy that's going to come out and he's going to say he's got he's got a wizard and he's got four spell slots and he's got brilliant wisdom save. I just knew you would do this Wellington. I just knew which is why I didn't mention it and, and, tec- You're a part- and technically when I was a teenager I did try to cast a spell once right okay just you know it's you've had plenty of time on the show I think you should just leave okay. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I totally defrauded you. I understand that <laughs> that's that okay. was the whole point of the that's podcast, it. and I, I no, knew I knew no, going just, in. No. I knew going in, I was going to lie. I was going to defraud just you. Get out. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll just show myself out. <laughs> Say goodbye, David. Goodbye, David. And it's a goodbye from me. Stay safe. Roll sixes. Stay away from authors that come on your show and tell you a whole load of stuff and then drop in the end that they actually play Wizards of Dungeons and Dragons. This is me signing off. A little bit, feel a little bit betrayed actually. Is this what betrayal in House of the Hill feels like? David, come here. I've got to have a word yeah, with you. Yeah, I, I, I was just, I was just <laughs> headed out the door.